Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by returning Owen Hughes. Hello, thanks for having me back, Steve. A returning Andrew Brooker. Evening, gents. And a returning Tony Black. Hello, hello. Do you have to say returning if it's everyone? Are you the returning host? Uh, yeah, why not? Technically. Is the always so. just been there host? He's the never goes away, just sits on Skype with a microphone and headset. Waiting for waiting for Owen to be 15 minutes late. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, anyway, yes, we're all here to talk about films um, culminating this week in a review of the new uh, film Arrival, which has... Um, been seen by all of us, I believe. You did say unsure about any of that, but yes, it is a rival. <laughs> and we, yes, have seen, we have, we all have seen, all it. seen it. Yep. Yeah. I was going. I was going to be trying to be more wordy and descriptive, but I forgot <laughs> things like who's in it and who directed it and what it was called. We just left radio silence instead. <laughs> and and if it was called Arrival or The Arrival, but The Arrival is an alien film with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Which is not quite as good. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Definitely not. Um. Charlie Sheen has a beard in it. I've seen a film with Charlie Sheen where he's an alien. Uh, oh, no, he's not an alien. No, there was one where he was an alien, where he was like a biker. And he was basically this girl's boyfriend who'd come back from heaven, but was sort of like another alien thing. Uh, but he looked completely different. And it was weird. Like, oh, damn it. What the fuck was that film called? It's- Are you sure you didn't dream this? It does. It does sound like you know, one too was, many beers was, and maybe a tab or two. It does, doesn't it? It is the yeah. most, the most eighties film I can think of, and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, this is going to bug me. You're going to have to carry on whilst I look this up, and then just randomly shape the title out as you're midway through a sentence. Okay. Well, I mean, we we've got a quiz. The race. We'll start. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Fucking hell. Okay. There we are. There you go. That was what. That was what. Well, I had Any, to get that in. Anyway. Boom. Um. I I had to watch a film because I lost the last quiz that Owen was doing, and that is called Spellbinder. This is this going to be the topic this week? Everything's got a question mark. Spellbinder. Steve's just not sure about anything this week. <laughs> yeah, it was about to try to purge it from my memory, hmm. but it it's Spellbinder, wasn't it? It was Spellbinder. Yes. I don't even want. I don't even want to talk about it. That's. That's a very defeatist attitude. <laughs> it made me that way. <laughs> what was wrong with it? Everything. Everything. <laughs> just, just stupid. It's it's about some like witch, but she don't really want to be one. But the witch is 
other witches want to sacrifice her, um, but she has to go willingly for her to be sacrificed, which just sounds stupid because why would you? It's like they're not. It's not like they're going to try and kidnap her. They're trying to convince her to be sacrificed, and it's just crap. It's just crap. I think. I think with a budget, I could make a better film. Uh, well, you say that there were bits in it that I thought were really good. There was individual individual scenes that I remember being really good. This is the well, the ending was kind of coming a mile off. I mean, it's a hin- a film that's hinged on a twist, isn't it? And the twist is yeah. so bloody obvious from the moment it sort of starts, really. But you know, the way there were good individual scenes. Some of it looked really good, nicely shot bits. No, perhaps not going <laughs> to relent a little bit. No. No, just it's, just it's crap. Terrible. Do you know um, why I made no. you watch that? It wasn't just me picking a, hor- a random cause, film cause, off Netflix. Because you're a horrible man. I am a horrible man, but I picked it because it was recommended to us, as in at Failed Critics, by Jonathan Sothcott, the film producer who we had on the podcast to talk about Danny Dyer. Uh, he picked it, it, it out for change, us to watch. It doesn't change my opinion. No, well, you know, that's good. That's you being objective. <laughs> hopefully, but, hopefully he didn't make it and I've not upset him. But No, I don't think he made it. He's been on our podcast and called his own films crap in the past, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind <laughs> well, anyway. That's very true. Mm. Um, but on to the actual quiz itself. So, nil-nil, um, clean slate. And with um, it being a rival reviewing, which is a film about... Uh, aliens coming to Earth. I have done a quiz based around films where aliens come to Earth. Is the answer for all the questions Independence Day? Or Will Smith? No. Uh. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> with an F. Um, so, so it's obviously Brooker and Tony versus Owen. Um, question one. In the hit film Coneheads... <laughs> the hit film Coneheads, yep. Yeah. 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 See, has anyone seen yeah. this? Years ago. When I was a kid. Right. Right. What was the reason for the Coneheads coming to Earth? Um, were they there to turn Earth into a galactic refueling station, a spa resort for their species, or a landfill site? Landfill site, I'm guessing, from the 80s. It's going to be all environmental stuff, isn't it? Mm, I reckon a spa. Be. Yeah, I'll go with that. I ain't got a fucking. <laughs> Me neither. You, you're both. You're both wrong. It was going to be used as a galactic <laughs> refueling station. Uh, oh, close though. Those so, aren't the right lines. There you go. There you go. A film that some of you might have seen and heard of. Question two: <laughs> The World's End. What was the purpose of the aliens overtaking um, the the town and the world? <laughs> was it to, so that humanity could join the galactic community? Do they want to destroy humanity as humanity is dangerous or to create a race of robot slaves? C. Yeah, C, I think. No, it was actually A. So the quiz is going really well at the moment. Excellent. Here's here's one that you'll probably both get. Uh, Question three, Transformers. The first Transformers film in this Michael Bay series of depression. (laughs) Um, Why did the Transformers come to Earth? (laughs) Were they looking to recover the Allspark, destroy the Earth, or steal human technology? That's A. I'm pretty sure yeah, that's Allspark. A. That's A. There you go. You got a, you got you got a point each now. You're on off and running. Hmm. Uh, question four in the film Skyline. Oh. 
What oh, did the God. aliens want? Do they want brains? Do they want hearts? Or do they want water? Oh, that film was that dog film shit. Was so stupid as well. Yeah. And it's so stupid, yeah. it's been like pushed into the recesses yeah. at the back of my mind. I can't remember. I, I, I re- You mean you don't think a film starring Turk from Scrubs <laughs> is the greatest thing ever? <laughs> oh, I reckon C. What about you, Brooker? Yeah, water sounds. Yeah. I think it was water as well. No, you're both wrong. It was brains. Brains. <laughs> they wanted brains. They sucked brains out of people. You know that film's getting a sequel, right? What? No, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Beyond oh. Skyline and it stars Frank Grillo. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I'm kind of in then. Frank well, yeah, me Grillo. too, because I yeah. really, I love Frank Grillo, but I really don't want to see Skyline 2. Yeah, he's better Skyline than that. Skyline 1 raped my eyes enough. Yeah. Mm. Here's, here's another question that you should both get the answer to. Um, Independence Day, how did they kill the aliens or stop them was it a computer virus a flu virus or a plague computer virus uh, yeah 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 didn't even need that's literally the, that the gimme question isn't it just to make you feel better <laughs> because you're a spat <laughs> yeah uh, question question number six <laughs> i'm gonna offend so many people <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to edit air Question. one where you called someone a re- real left winger cause she been down south That was borderline <laughs> Spanish bomb He's probably making the cut as well to be honest. <laughs> I I haven't heard the word You slice since nineteen ninety eight. Brilliant. I love it. It's a great word. It's not well, it's not a great word, but you know, you know what I mean. Question number six, uh, Oblivion. What was Tom Cruise's character told that the aliens um which I think were fictitious in the end. I mean, what was he told that the aliens had done to destroy the Earth or destroy mankind? Did they blow up the moon, stop the Earth's core, or reverse the poles? I reckon that's B. I've, I've seen this, but I can't remember a fat lot about it. It's got a good score. That's about all I remember. I reckon it's B. So, yeah, I'll go with that. I, I watched it at the cinema and then tried to scrub it from memory. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was okay, except for Morgan Freeman. Yeah, but I, I can't remember what the answer was. Were they, did they reverse the poles? No, they destroyed the moon. Uh, Seriously, this oh, quiz is not going saying. well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, right. <laughs> Question seven. I've um, I've, I've worded some of the answers because I'm writing kind of my version of shorthand <laughs> rather than proper. So anyway, right. So seven. <laughs> It's just uh, got names film of films I, there, and then yeah. tries to sort of remember yeah. desperately yeah. what the thing was. Yeah. Seven, seven. I I married a monster from outer space. Why did the uh, alien come to Earth? Uh, did they want to continue their race? Were they space pervs, or did they need to have sex with humans, or they would die? <laughs> what the <laughs> film? <laughs> <laughs> um. B? I, li- I like the idea of space pervs the best. Yeah. They had to shack a load of humans or they'd die. <laughs> no, they'd be doing very well because it was A. Oh, <laughs> no. the, most sen- the most sensible answer. <laughs> I, hope you, right, I hope you've got a tie break. Is... Yeah, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> District, District 9. Uh, were the aliens in that asylum seekers, war criminals, or tourists? Asylum, asylum seekers. Yeah. seekers. Asylum seekers, yeah. Yes, okay, so, so we're on three. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question, in the day the Earth stood still... Which one? Yeah, the, the original or the remake? The, either, either. 
Okay. The 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 alien was called Clatau. Anyway, don't want his name. I'm giving you mm-hmm. that. Yeah. What was the name of his robot? Was it Gort, Bort, or Wart? Gort. It's Gort. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, four. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a participation trophies at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you if you'd also noticed, the correct answer on all of these multiple choice ones was M. <laughs> Did you expect us to find the pattern, Steve, and then you know race to victory? Is that what it is? I thought I thought somebody would have cottoned on to it. <laughs> maybe the, well, maybe someone listening has got it. They've not just given up the will to live by this point. <laughs> Much like its contestants. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the tie break will be at the end of the show <laughs> because we need to get we need, we need to crack on. <laughs> Let's face it. We need to get on. We need to get on with the news. Yeah, we just need to crack um, on. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, the the news has been pretty positive for us this week, Owen. Despite the shit that's just come the <laughs> ten minutes of this podcast. Considering the thing said good podcast, I think someone we need is, to give it back. Yeah, someone's <laughs> frantically searching the Blog Awards UK website at the moment, trying. How do you retract a nomination? <laughs> Um, because we the judging panel the judging panel just listened to me use the term space pervs yeah I did have a look at the profile of the judges for the vlogger and podcaster category and you know making snap judgments on the way someone looks on her profile picture online I don't think they're going to like us very much but um, either way really even with my horrendously (laughs) offensive language probably because of (laughs) I'm almost glad I've done my bit then. Yeah, but, 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 all the same, uh, I'm chuffed to have been nominated by someone anonymously. Um, they all all that happened was it was um, yesterday. No, it was Saturday. I think Saturday evening, around ten past seven. Just had an email ping in the failed critics uh, email address inbox, and it said, "Dear failed critics, someone has nominated your blog to be entered into the UK Blog Awards 2017." And their reason for nominating you is good podcast with not bad written reviews too. Well, thank you <laughs> ever so much for that lukewarm sentiment to my reviews. <laughs> it's the, the best end. compliment we've ever had, isn't it? It's really? amazing. Let's be honest. So a huge, you know, gracious thank you very much to the person that nominated us. And I think we have to wait until December or January to find out whether we've made it down through the shortlist at which I know the answer already. <laughs> which point it becomes a public vote, and we will be um, spamming the shit out of it, to use the technical term. I'll be I'll be sat there just clicking vote constantly. I'll make up fake email addresses. <laughs> no, because we we are not that kind of podcast, Steve. We will we want honest votes. That's what's. I, what's I don't. Okay. <laughs> I want a, I want a trophy. Well, Steve is being pretty honest about his cheating. That counts as an honest podcast. I guess that's that's a very good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll find out uh, what happens next. And, you know, we'll obviously keep everyone informed because I'm going to keep my BDI on this. I just want to know I just want to know who it is. I'm, I'm really curious now. I want to know who this mystery, you know, lukewarm fan is really well, my, thing. My immediate <laughs> response was to email you guys and Paul. And say, all right, which one of you did this? Fess up. And Matt Lamborn as well. I emailed him, and nobody claimed 
to be behind it. So it's not like we've even nominated ourselves. It's a genuine surprise, which kind of makes it even more the sort of bit nicer, really. It's an actual real listener. Mm. Yeah, so um, the the trailer came out for Ghost in the Shell t- today or yesterday, I think, which, um, for those who don't know, is a remake of a famous futuristic Japanese anime that started life as a manga. It was a comic first. It stars uh, Scarlett Johansson as the protagonist, a, uh, for want of a better descriptor, a police officer who is mostly a cyborg. Um, she's had parts of her brain... Uh, and all of her body replaced uh, or repaired with cybernetic parts. Um, which isn't unusual in this world that they've created, as most of the people in Japan have, like, cybertech inserted into their brains. Only somebody is hacking them, which is, of course, where the title comes from. It's the ghost in the shell, um, which I've always really liked. I've always really liked that title. The reason that this is newsworthy or controversial is twofold firstly it's a remake of a beloved cult classic and not only that but it's a hollywood remake of a beloved foreign cult classic and remakes never go down particularly well with fans of the original anyway um you know it's usually those people trying to trying to kill the hype about a movie before it's released like uh robocop and particularly when it's a Remake of a foreign film that never that goes any even worse, such as Old Boy. To just give two recent examples of those. Secondly, it's controversial because it's become another example of the so-called Hollywood whitewashing. Um, it's a Japanese movie, very thoroughly smothered in Japanese cultural significance, you know, and and it's still set in Japan. Um, but it's got an American lead actress surrounded by American co-stars, except for the, I think we're all happy to call him the legendary Takeshi Kitano. Uh, and it's aimed at an American audience as well. So whether you call it whitewashing or appropriation or whether you don't even think that it's any of those things, um, or even if those things exist to you, it's still making headlines for those reasons. So it's taking something out of an environment that it was made for and kind of shoehorning it into some other box. Um, so, I mean, Ghost in the Shell, the, the actual story of it, as I've just described it, is very collectivist, right? It's a very collectivist society they've got, and it's a commentary about Japanese culture, Um more so than sort of general humanity being described as collectivist. So even if it's sort of inspired by, uh, I think it's Arthur Kostler's, um story, um, it's it's still it's being taken away from from where it has the most meaning, and placed into a society or into a culture or transposed into a culture where it's not got that significance, not got that context to it. So, uh, that's the reason that it's quite controversial. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not for a second either saying that, that these people are correct. That it's... That that's what's happening. That it is whitewashing. That it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that the people who are upset by it either are 
wrong or right about how you know everyone feels something about something else that's just the way people are but there's clearly something going on here where a big studio thinks that their primary goal is for their movie to reach as wide an audience as possible and that casting a movie star of the same ethnicity or race as the market they're trying to sell it to is going to be more of a draw than casting someone from without that same um, relatability to its audience. So again, that's, that raises further questions. I mean, am I sending like a complete burke at the moment? I mean, what's what do you guys think of this? Because I don't want to take over the podcast and be very sort of hands <coughs> off with it. I don't, I don't know. They kind focused. of... Because we, we read about this. Well, I think we talked about this when it first was announced that she was going to be in it, didn't we? And I don't know. I do kind of see the point, but at the same time, it just feels like internet echo chamber looking for any reason to be offended at absolutely nothing. You know, there, there is a point to Scarlett Johansson being in it. And I don't know an awful lot about the original uh, comic. I've seen the film a few times. I quite like the film. But from what, from what I read... The major's supposed to be Caucasian. Is that right? Well, that's... Well, see, the defence that's being given is that she's got blue eyes and therefore it's probable. But at the same time, they're saying, yeah, but that's just like a generic... And that's not to Japanese say I'm defending style. it. Not, it's mm. not to say I'm defending it, not in the slightest. I don't think I could care less. I, I'd be more... If I was a fan of Ghost in the Shell... I'd be more worried about Hollywood doing to that what they'd done to Robocop a couple of years ago more than I would be worried about who was starring in it. You know, mm. they, and much like they did with Robocop, you know, watered down the entire fucking point to it. I think that's the point that people need to worry about with Ghost in the Shell. I think a lot of the the point to the culture that it was talking about in the in the film, in the original film, I think that's all going to go. I think it will all be missing and it will have no substance to it whatsoever outside of some very nice cgi uh i think yeah i think it'll miss the context more so than the whitewashing the point will probably still be the same the the whitewashing yeah it's a problem but at the same time it's not that big a deal it's not like we've got a bunch of white people playing malcolm x you know this yeah but is it is it though because it is a bunch of white people playing Japanese people and taking the roles away from people of an Asian ethnicity? But are they playing Japanese people or are they playing cyborgs? Well, it, obviously in this they're playing people of no race because they can do that because it's this you know bizarre dystopia slash utopia society. Yeah. And who's to, um, who's to so, say that in twenty sixteen or be twenty seventeen when it comes out that the story they want to lay out isn't one that can fit with Scarlett Johansson and whatever other random yeah. white people were in it. Until you see well, the Big film. Hero 6, yeah, Big Hero 6 did a similar thing. I know it's a, an animation and everything, but it did a thing where uh, it's kind of American, but covered in Japanese um, lore and culture yeah. and style. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... I, I personally think it's okay if this was a rig- an original story, if they were doing something new... Um, but because I think that they're they're taking this, I think there is a problem with um, with it in that sense. They're taking this uh, character that already exists and then 
but then you know how far do you go with that how far do you go with that because i mean even people like um you know eddie redmayne who we're going to talk about a bit later for his role in the danish girl got stick because he was playing a transgendered person and he wasn't transgender and he's taking roles away from transgendered actors yeah, so, so kind of like... I think that brings up the conversation that we we had briefly, previously when we were talking about that the Hush, the Netflix film, and the little yeah. field of micro offence that there was that there wasn't an actual real life deaf and dumb person playing mm-hmm. the deaf and dumb lead role. You know, mm-hmm. there there has to be a line, and I do agree that you need if you if you're going to center this thing in Japan and it's going to be a Japanese story, then you need a Japanese actress actor in it. But until you see the film, you don't know if they've, you know, if they've worked around it. Yeah. Well, it's why um, it's so funny when you watch something like Tropic Thunder, isn't it? And you see Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. As the kind of black actor. As the black guy. (laughs) Yeah. That's the whole joke, isn't it? That he's, you know, trying to take all these roles on just because they're great roles as opposed to him being... (laughs) <laughs> restricted by his race but at the same you know I don't know I don't know how far do you go with it I think there's a, there is an issue but how serious is that issue and what would you do about it I mean would you would you, you know, boycott Ghost this, in the Shell I don't know this 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 sentiment isn't going to help us with this wars judging panel but <laughs> if all these people spent less time being offended over such pointless shit, they could probably accomplish something. And more time voting for us. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Trump. Yeah. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, why get, why get so upset about something like this? I think we're, we, can, we can say that because we're, Cause we're white. white dudes. But if you, if you were a struggling black I, I, American I don't, actress I don't, and you couldn't get a role... I still think I'd be apathetic towards... I'm apathetic towards everything. <laughs> That's just your general disposition, though. But I mean, like, if you, if you were in that environment and you thought, oh, they're making Ghost in the Shell, I'm a, a really good Japanese actress, this should be available to me, I should audition for this, and I will probably stand a good chance, and then they go, oh, we're going to give it to Scarlett Johansson. You're probably going to be more uh, peeved by that. And probably I, rightly so. So I don't know how right it is for me to sit here and say what someone should or shouldn't be offended by in this regard. So I feel a bit awkward about it. I th- I, th- I think it. I mean I don't really. I've not really. I've not seen the trailer for Ghost of the Shell. I'm not particularly interested if I'm honest. But the, this has come it up. It looks before. really good. That's the worst bit about it. The, the film yeah, actually it looks look quite good. fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it might be, you know. But and but this has come up before with things like you know Doctor Strange as well with Tilda Swinton and things like that. Mm-hmm. But. The, the thing I have, I completely understand what people are saying. And to be fair, I think it all should come down to like the story and, and who's best for the character. And let's be honest, Scarlett Johansson, this, this is, I don't know much about Ghost in the Shell, but if this is a Japanese character, then let's be honest, Scarlett Johansson isn't the right person for this, is she? You know, it, it probably should be a Japanese actress. However, will a Japanese actress put bums on seats in the Midwest United States? No. Right. This is this is what this is the reality of Hollywood. You know, if mm-hmm. if people have got a problem with this, don't make Ghost in the Shell in Hollywood. You know, make it a little indie film with a, with an independent. You know, where they where they're not expected to make you know five hundred million dollars. This the reality is Scarlett Johansson is known around the world. She's famous. She's sexy. She puts bombs on seats, and this is what and annoys me with this. She's good well, at she, stuff like Lucy, yeah, and Avengers. And so she on. is. She is good. Right. She is. 
But I think people are, are just, they get so het up with the, the moral and the, oh, it should be like this, oh, that's not fair. Well, Hollywood doesn't give a fuck what's fair. They just want to make money. It's a business. Yep. And, and pe- people forget this all the time with, with art and creativity. Art and creativity is only, you know, as prevalent as the money that it makes, basically. And people forget this every single day. So much as I tend to agree that it's probably, without knowing anything about Ghost in the Shell, it's probably not spot on. It's the world. It's the realistic yep. world. We live in Trump's world now. Nobody cares. Oh, God. <laughs> everything will be white forever (laughs) exactly right and then for the end we'll have a fence around it yeah not a wall a little picket fence I do I'm not saying it's right but I did mention this to someone at work today because we were talking about this exact thing at work today and it was interesting that we both at the same time brought up the last time someone tried to make an anime manga thing into a real life film they stuck a Mm. white chick in it then as well and it was fucking terrible Mm -hmm. It was that fucking god-awful Aeon Flux. Yeah. Maybe they should learn a thing or two. What is that? Wow. But, to- I mean, the, po- the point Tony made is the same same thing that, we're, you know, I tried to lead this conversation with at the start. It's just that, you know, Hollywood makes films out of source material from all over the world all of the time and is, kind of unsurprisingly, making films for a target audience with whom the film should connect. And the easiest way that they think to do that is to place people like your audience in that film. So, yeah, Tony's right. Whether you like it or not, and whether you think it's high art or if you think that it's just the movie business, um, the studio, the people with the money, to them, it is about selling a product and turning a profit. So... Do you you think there'd be this much kicking off if they'd cast, say... Lupita Nyong'o in the main role rather than Scarlett Hansen. Probably not as much fuss because then they are well, giving they, a... There you go. Because yeah, people, people would be scared of saying we don't then want a black con- chick in the film. Yeah, then the, I don't then think, the whole concept is ridiculous. I don't think it's as simple. I think it. What they? if that was the case, and it isn't, I mean, let's face it, that isn't and that would never happen. But if that was the case, at least you could say, well, okay, they're kind of giving it to an ethnicity, an, e- an ethnicity, to an... But an ethnic character, an ethnic character actor, uh, which is, which is still better than not in this situation. Is it when it's completely the wrong ethnicity? Yeah. Do you not think so? No, if it's completely the wrong one... I mean, if it's just a character, but the, the, from the, just if it's just a, a character that's been that's not really had much of a description, um, then it doesn't it doesn't really matter. And if you pick anyone of any ethnicity, then then brilliant. If it's specifically a Japanese character and you pick somebody who's not Japanese, then the argument's just ridiculous. No matter what ethnicity uh, you pick, if it's not Japanese, I don't think so because I think the argument isn't that it's a Japanese uh, character, therefore you should have a Japanese actor. It's that it's a Japanese character and you've just gone and given it to a famous white actress, and it's not the the fact that you know. It, it, well, it is a little bit for the fact that they they want to sell the movie to a particular audience, so they cast someone who's like who they think their target audience is, and that's not to assert that there are no black people there are no Japanese people there are no you know Mexican people who are going to watch Ghost in the Shell there will be and they will presumably um, want to if not expect to see someone who represents them in the Hollywood movie business in big blockbuster movies but the fact is they 
probably don't. I mean, there's only one Japanese actor who's cast in Ghost in the Shell who was on that trailer, at least. And that was Takeshi Kitano, who we all know already anyway. So, I mean, I think that the wider issue is that the, is the studios who see the audience as white, sort of straight, uh, able-bodied people. And therefore, that's the only person that they're going to cast in their movies. So I think even if it's casting someone who's not from that, you know, specific characters, ethnicity, it's still better than giving it to just generic, regular, dime a dozen, white, straight, able-bodied person. And I know I sound like a really sort of <laughs> right on woolly liberal and everything that's probably alienated half of the audience and i apologize but i i do think it's that's the case i th- I think whitewashing is an issue um but maybe not in the sense of just give the active roles to people from different things as like positive discrimination there's a there's a thing going on that's probably more difficult and more complex to say yeah they should have just cast you know at least an Asian actor in this. Give it Duna Bay. She's Korean, but you know she looks like it. You know, it's it's more than that. So, yeah. Sat now for open watching. We have a look at some of the films that aren't new releases that we've seen in the last week or so. I did want to save the best till last, but I just can't wait for Brooker to review the film that he <laughs> oh, watched from losing last sake. week's quiz. Just for yes. fuck's sake. Just first of all, what was it? <laughs> what did you get sent? First of all, can you say thank you to Paul? Fuck you, Paul. Cunt bag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> want to ever take another film. Do you realise this year, based on Paul, I've watched three of the worst films I've ever watched? And what makes it worse is that The Acid House is a repeat viewing. I saw this manky piece of shit in the cinema and now I'm forced to watch it again because I lost this <laughs> fucking quiz and he sent me this fucking god-awful just bag of cold jizz. It was the single worst <laughs> fucking... Oh, I was so angry watching this film. This film has no redeeming features. For one thing... The poxy thing needs subtitles. I couldn't understand a fucking word going on for the entire hour and 40 minutes it was on. Because it's just all thick Scottish shit. And, wow, I thought I swore a lot until I watched this film. And, you know, it's a bit like watching one of those straight-to-video London gangster things where every third word is just cunt. But <laughs> and it, it makes me look like a choir boy watching this fucking thing. It was just terrible. So, a 1998 film from a guy called Paul McGeegan, who went on to make the absolutely fucking amazing Gangster Number One and Victor Frankenstein, <laughs> but also made Lucky Number Eleven, so it's, it's all right. And he done a few episodes of Sherlock as well. So, a bit up and down with his with his uh, filmography, but. So it's based on Irvine Welsh's short story collection. And I think Irvine Welsh wrote the the screenplay for these these films as well. This film, which is actually like a collection of three short stories put into film. And 
I mean, I'll, I'll very quickly describe each one and just let you go, I'm not sure I want to watch that. Have, I, have any of you guys seen this film? No. Nope. No. Lucky bastards. <laughs> I don't watch it. I'll tell you what. When we're done with the podcast, go into the kitchen, get your fairy liquid and just rub it into your eyes. It's <laughs> almost as painful as watching this bloody film. So the first part of this is called The Grant and Star Cause. And it's, it's centered around a bloke. I don't know. He must be like late teens, early 20s who's just this hapless twat who's in the space of about 45 minutes gets fired, dumped, kicked out of his parents' house so they can have fun with strap-ons and then dropped off his footy team just because he's a dick. And then while he's in the pub, this vengeful god visits him and turns him into a fly as punishment for wasting his life and we get to spend the next 20 minutes watching this fly go around at getting his own back on the people that fucked him over in the first part of this short story including like climbing all over an old dog shit and then flying into people's food and just making them very very ill it's not good no okay well I'll tell you what because I remember seeing this when I was trying very hard to ignore the film uh, so I was looking at it on IMDB and it's not on the box but it is on the poster and the poster says psychotically funny I can tell you I did not laugh once during this 100 minute comedy not once it's just the worst thing I've ever seen story number two is even shitter and it has absolutely no point as this guy I can't even remember his name and I'm not going to look it up because I can't be asked but he's played by Kevin McKidd who I quite like because you know dog soldiers and things mm-hmm. uh, whose wife not long after they've had a kid decides to start fucking the crackhead that moves in upstairs well he's not a crackhead it's Scotland so he's a smackhead <laughs> Who moves in upstairs? He's just a normal member of society. He's just a just a <laughs> Scot. This is what he is. Uh, but this guy, I, and I don't even see the point. So this guy takes his wife, and then, like, because he's moved in in the flat above his, he takes a sledgehammer to his floor, leaving a hole in Kevin McKidd's ceiling, and then throws an extension cord through it so he can steal his electricity as well as his wife. And that's pretty much the whole point to this segment. I'm not sure I understand it. And then the last one is probably the creepiest one of them all, and it's called The Acid House. And it's a dude who's... I think it's... Is it Ewan Bremner? I think his name is. I can't remember. I care so little that I'm not going to look it up. (laughs) Uh, While he's tripping, gets hit by lightning. And when he gets hit by lightning, he body swaps with a freshly born baby of a middle-class couple in the same area. What? Yeah. And this, he starts, you know, you hear him kind of, obviously you don't hear him talk, you do hear him talk a little bit later on, but, you know, he's kind of thinking stuff to himself, like, where the fuck am I? And it's this weird, creepy, model doll thing that I just, I do not understand. 
but it kind of stares at them while they're shagging. And it's supposed to be funny, but it's just shit and creepy. <clears throat> I This film has absolutely no redeeming features. Literally, I forced myself to stay up and watch this thing. And I hated every single second of it. It wasn't fun. And I'd... Do you know what the other creepy thing about that third part must Go be? On. There's a guy... There's a there's a, a fully grown guy out there walking around with a Well, no, the fully grown, grown guy <laughs> whose body swapped with the baby is essentially... It, it, well, he's in the hospital, just kind of dribbling, not doing an awful lot. Yeah, it, it's just... Mm. Yeah, but how's, a, how's the baby's brain cope with that? I don't know. <laughs> I think you've thought about it too much, Steve. <laughs> Scary. Like... You've put horrified. I think you've put more thought into this film than anybody involved in the making of the film put in. It wow. absolute wank. I've, I. It's a contender for the worst film I've seen this year. It's just terrible. I can't think of any reason why anybody would want to watch it, and I don't know what to do with this fucking DVD. I'm not putting it on my shelf. <laughs> I'm just. Have not you actually angry. spoken to Paul about it since you watched it? I called him a twat on Twitter and that was about it. Yeah. Because when it turned up, I called him a twat and then when I watched it, I called him a bigger twat. But he gets that, he gets that every day. <laughs> as, as, did he send it to you because he, he thought it was bad or did he send it to you because I don't he know. You see, you see, your average human being, I what would... What do ex- you think? Make, it, make an educated guess. <laughs> well, this is what I mean. Your, your average person, like if Owen had sent this to me, I would say he hates it and just wants me to suffer along with him. But <laughs> like what happened someone... with Mob Handed, right? Or exactly, Mob Handed and Killer Bitch. But like yeah. Mob Handed and Killer Bitch, they were recommended to us because Paul thought they were good. Yeah. And this is this is where my worry comes. I I I have genuine concerns for Paul's sanity <laughs> at this point because his family safety. Yeah. And next time I see him, I'm going to slap him with this acid house box. <laughs> Love you, Paul. Fucker. Anyway, um, <laughs> on to on to what I saw this week. A bit of a different film to to this one, by the sounds of it. And that was the film that was released last year called Max, which is about a dog that was in the Marines, and then there's a lightning strike, and it swaps bodies with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what happens. Stop staring at people having sex. Yeah, no, that's not what happens at all. Um, so he's partnered with this guy, um, and the, and the guy gets killed. And the dog comes home and is given to the guy's family, as the as his, as the guy's younger brother can control this dog more than anyone else can, and and the family team take it on because it gives him some kind of link to their dead son there's more to it than that because the other another marine who was out there with his son with their son um turns out to perhaps have had more in involved in his death than what was implied and is a bit of a, a criminal all round and um it's really one of those kind of family films that's got a dog in it um, yeah. it's homeward it's bound with films. guns yeah yeah, more or less. It's home with, home with guns instead of a cat. <laughs> uh, 
but no, it's fun. It's like a family film, isn't it? It's quite, it's quite enjoyable. It's very predictable. Um, you can kind of guess what's going on from the start. But I didn't get yeah, the impression from the trailer when I saw it that it was family film. I got the, that it was very middle maybe. of the road, but. No, the trailer's pretty misleading. I found that when I went to see it. It was a very misleading trailer. Okay. So did they try to over-dramatise it in the trailer, or was the... Maybe maybe it's not like a family film. Maybe it's more like a teen film. Well, I, that kind of thing. I definitely say it's a family drama, but I think the trailer focuses a lot on the, the, the dog who suffers from PTSD. Yeah. And it doesn't mention any yeah. of the other side of the story, which when you actually get to it, you go... Oh, okay, so it's basically a really long Lassie episode, but you didn't tell me that when I saw the trailer for it. <laughs> mm. You know, we, when we were talking about unbelievable sequels earlier, mm-hmm. about Skyline, there is a sequel in the works for this. It's called Max 2, colon, and guess what the uh, rest of the title Mad is. Mad Max. <laughs> it should be To The Max. No, not Mad Max, not To The Max. It's, it's Max 2. <coughs> Pause of Fury. Himself up to, <laughs> no, uh, right. It gives it away in the title what's going to happen in this film. Max Two, the... White House Hero. <laughs> so it <laughs> removes any of the the drama. Of, is he so going to make it? It's Olympus has fallen with a dog. <laughs> More or less, by the sounds of it, yeah. I'm alright with that. White House down with a dog. Because he's, he's still a better actor than prison. Gerard Butler. He's going to team up with President Trump and fire a bazooka at some terrorists. <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? We'll fire it at President Trump. That would be less re- realistic. That that would be more realistic than what has happened in the last seven days. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> but yeah. So no, I, I I quite liked it. It's just one of those nice. I say nice. It's a, a dog that's tackling some. Gun runners. I fucking that that um, film destroyed me, like <laughs> absolutely destroyed me. No, I was more upset in Homeward Bound. Yeah, see, I haven't watched Homeward, Homeward Bound, Bound since I was a kid for the exact same reason. Like, I Homeward Bound is far more. Homeward Bound pulls pulls far more on your heartstrings than this does. See, I I really quite <laughs> liked think, Max, but I'll never you, watch when, it again. When when you when you think the old dog's not going to make it, and then it does make it. <laughs> So next time I win Every the quiz, time. I'm gonna have to make you rewatch Home and Bound to make you cry or feel something. I'm quite happy. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch it again. Mm. It's fine. I love Home and Bound. It's all about Home with Bound too. No. Mm. I'll make too a much. note. Make me watch. But make me watch. Batteries not included. Instead. <laughs> I'll be happy with that. Um, Tony, what have you seen this week? Uh, yeah, I watched um, the Danish Girl. Which uh, is the Eddie Redmayne, Alicia Vikander film with um, with about well, about the trans first kind of transgender person um, came out about a year ago roughly. It's now on Sky, um, and my girlfriend's been interested in it, and I've I've been vaguely interested in it. So you know, I quite like Eddie Redmayne. Alicia Vikander's great, um, but and you know, I've worked with transgender people and things like that in the past. So you know, it's it, it's nice to see a film that. Covers that stuff. I don't think you're it's allowed to a... call them things like that, though. <laughs> 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 That's 
Trump's America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I blame Obama. The, the worst, the worst thing like that we've ever had was um, was Jerry, and what did he say? <laughs> oh, something about gay people if they were normal. And it's like, no, and it's like, no, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I, I really didn't mean things like that. Just, just FYI, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know it's, it's really it's good to see films like this being made because I don't necessarily think they would have been five or ten years ago um, and you know it's because it's by Tom Hooper so it's off the back of the King's Speech and and those kind of things and off the back of Redman and Vikander being big stars etc etc it's just a shame it's really dull like it, it's it's set in like 1920s Copenhagen Redman's an artist who, in a nutshell, his wife encourages him to try on her knickers for artistic reasons. He likes it. And, and suddenly becomes very desperate for a front bum. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And he uh, he starts to realise that he's more happy being a woman than he ever was being a man. And all the way through, Redmayne plays it really sort of, you know, effeminate. Yeah, and he does look quite effeminate in many ways. You know, he's got that kind of face, and he plays it very softly spoken. You know, uh, like that. So you know, he, he's quite convincing when he's when he's um, Lily, which is the persona he becomes. Although he ultimately it's not even a persona; it is him or her. Ultimately, um, and, you know, he's got he's got some interesting things. Like at one point, which I thought was which really really sort of chilled me, they to try and get rid of his aberration, in inverted commas, they basically radioactively microwave his dick by putting this this big plunger on it and sh- shoveling him with radiation. At that point, I just sort of curled up into a ball. Um, you, you usually have to pay extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rest of it is just a snooze fest, you know, and, and it's saddled with the fact it's a, it's a true life story. So there's only so much you can really do with it. I don't know why Vikander won the best Oscar for this best supporting actress Oscar, to be honest, because she's good. Don't get me wrong, but she's better in things she's like Ex Machina. No, she's not Oscar good. And it just shows it was probably a, a slim year, you know, or in theory it should be slim year. I don't know. I, I, I went into it having heard lukewarm, things it looks good you know it's perfectly well directed it's got a nice score by alexandra desplat all this stuff but we were talking about it on facebook owen and you, mm-hmm. you I, I described it as quite arty and pretentious and to an extent i stand by that but you made a good point about how it's too mainstream to be arty and i think i think you're right and i think ultimately that's what lets it down it's just a bit staid and dull and doesn't really grab you emotionally in the way that a story like this should because it's you know, she was a pioneer ultimately, so it's it's a bit flat. Mm, it's more than a bit flat. I thought it was horrendous. I didn't like anything about it. Nothing. I didn't think Alicia Vikander was good. I didn't think Eddie. I thought Eddie Redmayne. I can't. It. But I think I think uh, I said on Facebook. It boggles my mind that he's as celebrated as he is. It just. It's just one of those things that I can't understand. If the theory of everything he wasn't good he wasn't barely acting in that he was just doing an impersonation and in the danish girl is the same he's just just running around in a wig yeah it's it's just such a bad uh, overly melodramatic 
actor that's just appalling. And I think that the Danish girl, the whole film is perfectly suited to him in that regard because it too is just... Uh, well, I said on my Letterboxd review it was uh, offensively inoffensive. It's just so bad <laughs> that it's not bad. There's, there's nothing to it. It's, it's the most boringly middle-of-the-road way to tackle a subject that could have been done much better, mm. that could have had some drama in it, that could have had some insight, some intrigue, or exposed you to a world that you were perhaps not as familiar with. And instead it was, oh, I like wearing women's clothes. I, oh, for mm. fuck's sake, do something. Make it, like, poignant or meaningful or at least thoughtful. But it was just Tom Hooper being Tom Hooper, really. I, I just given carte blanche <laughs> to make a film look polished. And who gives a fuck about the story, right? I mean, yeah. That is horrendous. a real problem with the Danish girl as well. Like it, it should be, and a bit like the Ghost in the Shell thing. We're like, we're four straight white guys. What that film should be doing is teaching us a little bit about what people like that go through, and you come out of it going, oh, "Fuck off." Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the th- thing we've... thing is, I, I go on, mate. Sorry. Well, no, it was, it's just that I think because I oh, fuck me was it? It came out at the beginning of this year, didn't it? I think I reviewed it just before the Oscars. And yeah, it was, it was yeah, Oscars this year. And I remember nominated. watching it thinking the only thing that's going to get this film Oscar nominated is so it can be politically correct. Because mm. we've got a story about, you know, transgenders and their struggle and we have to give Oscars. And it was just, it wasn't worth it. If I don't know how Eddie Redmayne's gotten famous. That dude needs to fuck off get himself a job mm-hmm. as Doctor Who and get the fuck away from my screens forever. I, <laughs> The guy shouldn't be famous. I don't think he's a good actor. And the film was not good. Not at all. I wanted to claw my eyes out by the end of it. Yeah. It was, and I was, I was so... Um, oh, that makes me sound really like I'm a humongous knobhead, even more so than I normally am. But I was like shocked when you said that it was arty and pretentious. And it, to me, the Danish girl is... The complete opposite, like the literal opposite end of the spectrum from what I think of when I think of art house and pretentious. It's just, there's there's nothing challenging in it when it's a crime for a film like that to not challenge you on anything. You know, well, I th- I th- yeah, I think that I think that's what disappointed me the most because, like I said, I've worked with I've worked with um, minor uh, uh, minority groups in terms of you know charity work and I've worked with I've worked with a fair few people who are transgender and they're you know that they're, what, what they've gone through and what they still go through he's he's massive you know and the, the, they live such brave lives and this person who Redmayne is portraying did it in an era where you know women had barely got the vote let alone men wanting to live as a woman I mean it was it's such a powerful massive story really but it doesn't come across. That's the problem. You know, I, th- I think the components are there for it, quite honestly. I do think that. I, I think Redmayne's perfectly fine. I think the cast are okay. I think the direction's fine. It just doesn't do anything. It just doesn't leave you. At the end, you should be a, a complete sort of emotional blubbering wreck, and you're not. And th- yeah. there's a real sort of staid British sort of distance to it, and that's a real shame. And you didn't. I didn't feel that in the King's Speech. By the end of the King's Speech, I genuinely felt like I'd gone on a journey. And I was I was really with him, 
and that that did the same similar kind of thing much 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 better and it, it's just a shame that all the the, th- the components don't fire maybe it's because that had colin firth who is yeah who is a much better actor you know i don't know yeah. but yeah it, it doesn't work boys don't cry did it much much better yeah boys don't cry mm. did a much better job of the story they were trying to tell and yeah. i would recommend I- that over the danish girl any day I don't. I don't think there's a problem necessarily with the story. It's of the actual real life person. It's just the way it's told. It just seems yeah. really pandering and mm. bland and uh, uninteresting. They yeah. they made it was like I say. I think it was a bit of a crime. The only film of Tom Hooper's I've liked is uh, The Damned United. That is a very mm. good film. It's a great film. King's Speech is pretty meh. Lame is. Mm, I did Girl, love the King's Speech. Borrowed. But everything else I thought was dog shit. Although I've not watched the Damned United, and I won't. Yeah. <laughs> not, well, yeah. No, I mean if you don't if you don't like football and know about the character of Brian Clark, yeah, Hale, which is why I won't ever club. be watching it. Yeah, what would it is a really point? good. You're not. It is a really good drama in its own right, though, with a really good cast. But no, I I appreciate that. Le Miz, you can skip, really, because that's well, a lot of bobbins. Is dog shit. I turned yeah. it off halfway through. Yeah, but you liked that one, though, didn't you, Steve? I I quite liked it. Yeah. We've all got a different favourite, isn't that weird? <laughs> anyway, Owen, what have you seen? What have you seen this week? I watched Green Inferno, and um, I have lots to say about it, but I will try and be brief because we've still got a fit of rival onto the podcast this week. Um, so Green Inferno is Eli Roth's cannibal horror film about a group of student activists who go on a trip to save an indigenous tribe in Peru, Uh, from having their home destroyed and essentially being wiped out. But unfortunately for them, they end up trapped in the jungle and captured by the tribe who are not pleased about their foreign invaders. Um, I've actually watched this film twice in the past few weeks. I watched it at Halloween in a double bill with the phenomenal Bone Tomahawk. Um, And then I watched it again earlier today. And I have decided that I really, really like Green Inferno. Um, It's got 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. And an overwhelmingly, like an overwhelming majority of massively negative reviews on Letterboxd as well. Uh, And I find that a little bit baffling. I'm not... It's the internet hatred for Eli Roth. There's the, there is the hatred for Eli Roth, exactly. But from like this little social circle of friends that I've already spoken to about Green Inferno, most seem to be of the same opinion as me. That it's kind of one of the best uh, horror films of the year. Uh, because, you know, I do need to kind of disclaim that, I think, because it was made about three or four years ago. Got released initially in the US, I think, in 2014 or 2015. Didn't get a general release in the UK until February here, so I'm still classing it as a film of 2016. Yeah. If only to bump up the number of films this year that I've liked because they're few and far between. You just want to be able to vote um, for it in the awards at the end of the year, don't you? Uh, pretty much, pretty yeah. much, yep. Um, I also thought this time on the, on the rewatch, I better read up about it a bit more and see if there's something that I hadn't considered about why people seem to be so down on it. And from what I've read... I think most people disliked it because of their perception of its um, politics or, or like a, a genuine dislike of what the film stands for. 
Um, because it is intentionally offensive in every way. But, I mean, it's fucking Eli Roth film. Of course it's going to be offensive. That's literally what he does. He makes movies to offend those with a sensitive disposition. It's designed so that every point in the film, uh, or at least every point in the second half of the film, it will just keep pushing you harder and harder until you get offended by something. Uh, And I think if you don't like being offended... um, then you probably shouldn't be watching Eli Roth films, or indeed any films for that matter. I think I could turn this whole review into a rant about the stifling of like freedom of speech and the importance of offence, but I won't because, like I say, we haven't got much time for that. But uh, what I found out about Green Inferno as a film is probably um, more important to talk about anyway, because something I learnt was that it was actually shot in the Amazon. Um, apparently Eli Roth and took all of his crew, his cameramen, his actors, his sound guys, his lighting guys, everyone. They went further into the Amazon to make their movie um, than anybody had ever been before. Um, nobody had been that far into the Amazon to film. And he wanted it to feel like honest and genuine. And so they also use a real tribe who had little to no experience or contact with the outside world at all as the group of savages in this. I mean, they definitely hadn't seen like film cameras and TVs, apparently. So um, it, it was like foisted upon them to be the, the cannibals, right? So uh, I saw an interview with Eli Roth. He said that he was inspired by uh, cannibal horror movies of the 1970s and 80s and how dangerous they seemed. And that's what he wanted to recreate, that actual sense of danger, uh, which I think he kind of successfully pulled off in this. Um, I also learned to pay from his love of the 70s and 80s cannibal tribal movies to get these this this tribe on board in deepest, darkest Peru. He um, the first film that they had ever watched. The first thing they learnt about with films is it's a storytelling method. So he showed them Cannibal Holocaust. Fuck's sake. Example. And then, having no context for movies at all, right? No no idea. Well, they all thought it was a comedy. So they were all (laughs) laughing their tits off at Cannibal Holocaust and wanted to be in his film. Isn't that hilarious? Well, it's better than them thinking it's a documentary and thinking that's how we all live. (laughs) Exactly. They didn't think, oh, these guys, they've completely misread our culture. We need to educate them. They're like, this is hilarious. Look at that guy eating that other man. He's pulling him in a pot. That's fucking hilarious. Can we do that? So that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, as well as, as, well as that, he, he also cited films like um, Aguirre, Wrath of God, uh, Fitzcarraldo, you know, all these films about traveling down uh, the Amazon or traveling down rivers and stuff, or Great Journeys. And uh, funnily enough, he also cited Apocalypse Now, which is what I said on Twitter or Facebook straight after I watched it for the first time a few weeks back, um, because that was the the film that it reminded me most of, too. Um, but uh, where am I going with this? Yeah, just to get back to the point, I guess, about people not liking the film's politics. In this interview, he does go off on one uh, about Green Inferno, and um, he, he talks a lot about... Uh, and actually uses the term slacktivism and social justice warriors, where people are retweeting or liking things that they've seen online and then feeling very smug about themselves. 
uh, and people who are more bothered about being seen to be involved with a cause than actually caring about or wanting to do anything about it. And I can definitely see how it rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. The film, I mean, because, you know, again, it's Eli Roth, it's very offensive. Uh, but especially if they're already quite sensitive to torture porn or violence in movies as well. Because, I mean, at one point you have, like, as well as this horrible politics about people are just assholes, they're just doing this because they want to be seen to be good people, but can't be bothered to get off their asses, so I'm just going to kill them all in the jungle. And at one point you have a character that's essentially left as a quivering lump in the most like gruesome way imaginable. And it's, it is grotesque, but you have to admire the construction of what Eli Roth is doing, even if you disagree with it. Because there's a lot of tact and a lot of thought that's been put into making it, or, or just making it so that you feel sick to the stomach. It's hugely successful in achieving what he wanted it to achieve, I think. Because it could have, it could have seemed really cheesy, it could have seemed weak, uh, but it doesn't. Um, but I am going off topic, so I just wanted to talk about the politics. The main character, Justine, who's played by um, Lorenza Izzo, has like a very cynical roommate who's played by um, someone called Sky Ferreira, who I believe is a singer-songwriter as well as actress. Um, but she's like the embodiment of, or at least like carries the message of Eli Roth's opinion throughout Green Inferno, throughout the start of the film. And how people don't really care about stuff. They just want other people to think they care. But even like at one point in the narrative, even she has a moment where she could get involved rather than slagging off the activists. Or at least like help prevent her friend from making a mistake and going to Peru. But instead just keeps her mouth shut as well. So it's like from that point on, nothing goes right in the film. And I think that is also a bit of self-awareness on Eli Roth's part. I think he writes himself into the film as the annoying... Um, friend right uh and i think that is it, it, you know his point is that people don't really care but even like being cynical about the people that pretend to care and try to do something whatever their motivation is it's just as bad to just moan about them so uh eli roth pointed out in the review and it's something that occurred to me too um that it's a big thing for the characters that when they're happiest is not at like saving the rainforest it's when cnn retweet them they get a retweet from CNN and they're all singing and dancing and saying, this is brilliant. Because their goal is to be noticed, not to actually stop the deforestation, which they've already done at that point. And, um, yeah, I mean, they talk about their weapon being their phones rather than needing any guns, which, again, I think is it harks back to this whole social commentary. Um, but I did, yeah, it's just a really good film. Um, I do hate to keep going on about this one interview as well. But Eli Roth mentioned something towards the end that I said uh, on this podcast even a few months back, which is that what the film's most frightening moment is uh, for the viewer and the one thing that will like chill you and draw out this primal fear in you is the realisation that you are meat, that you can be eaten. And I think I said it in relation to Piranha, but it's that idea of being eaten. It's like a weirdly perverse feeling that you as a human being with all your feelings, your intelligence, your sentience and like all that, that comes with it, you can be reduced to food for something else. And I think it's that as much as like the sheer gory violence um, that makes the film so powerful. It's like it, it's it's got all these different elements built into it, which I think is really clever. So, you know, 
or maybe, yeah, maybe the gore is what has more of a like a lasting effect in your mind but it's just it really is just incredibly fucking brutal and horrific uh, for on many different levels and there are some like ridiculous black humor bits some work some don't you know there's the stone a bit that i don't think really works there's the shitting bit which is about as far from toilet humor as a shitting person can be and i don't really want to spoil it because like there's an impact to be had from that but i don't think that's funny i don't think it's played for laughs but i know people i've read reviews and they said that was stupid because it was like took them out of the film whatever but um you know the, the style of it is it's gorgeous to look at as well as being horrific uh there's lots of vivid strong colors that come out and it's just a you know it's it's great and i think everyone else is wrong and i'm right on this one <laughs> i think eli it's eli roth's best movie to date if you ask me um yeah green inferno definitely worth checking out and ignoring the swathes of negativity on it <laughs> Time for a new release now, where um, we are going to review Arrival. But you can also, though, read a great written review of uh, American Pastoral by Andrew Brooker, which will be on the website shortly. But we're just going to concentrate on Arrival for now. It's going to take a while to talk about, especially as all four of us have seen it. Just terrifyingly um, set the bar for me for a review I haven't finished writing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, dude. There you go. It's all right. Uh, so it's Arrival all right. Steve's is... going to edit it, so it's going to come out top-notch. Yeah. Uh, yes, Arrival, then. If I can finish what I was starting. Sorry. Mm. I thought you'd arrived at your... Never mind. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> I mean, I was expecting you to have an arrival pun already in the podcast somewhere. No, just no, no. slacktivism. No, uh, it is the latest film from Denis Villeneuve and starring uh, Amy Adams, Jeremy Brenner, Forrest Whitaker, and it's about twelve alien spacecraft landing on Earth, and the characters have to find out what their purpose is on the planet while trying to avoid a global war-like situation. And, in my opinion, it was one of the best films I've seen this year. It was brilliant across the board. Mm, not across the board. No? I don't think there was anything wrong. No? What was wrong with it? Um, I liked that it was tight in terms of keeping things... Well, it came in at just it came in at just under two hours as well. I thought it felt shorter than that, which was good. Um, but it does make compromises. I mean, you have like a a bit in the middle of the film where they're like, mm, "We need to get from point A to point B." Uh, I don't know. We'll have a montage and then a random bit of narration from Jeremy Renner. Like nobody, no other narration in the film whatsoever. But it's the quickest way to get from A to B. So that took me out of the film a little bit. I thought that was a bit of a cheat. But yeah, mostly it's a really, really good film. Brooker, I mean, we, we spoke yesterday that no aliens blew anything up in this film. Well, that was it. There was no, you know, no, uh, yeah. no skyscrapers being annihilated. No, la- yeah. you know, what, was the, what was the point? No landmarks <laughs> being vaporised. There was just no fucking point in them being here whatsoever. No, I, no. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I, I think, I, I can't remember. It might even have been... Tony, I said it to on Facebook. I said I don't think it's Villeneuve's best film, but that's not to say it's shit. 
because I hold Denis Villeneuve and his first few films in extremely high regard. So to to just say it's still one of the best films I've seen this year, I think is very, very high praise. I Outstanding film. And I love Amy Adams in everything. And Jeremy Renner. So I, I can't... I can't say anything bad about it. I don't think. You you kind of forget when he's playing a reserve team member of the Avengers that he can actually act a bit as well. You do. The thing with Jeremy Renner is you forget that he's done films like Hurt Locker, where he was fucking outstanding, because he does play, you know, backup Avenger and backup Born, and you know you forget that he's actually a really really good actor. And I, I thought he was great in this, uh, really great. And I, like I say, I mean, I'll watch Amy Adams in almost anything. I don't think I'll ever watch her in The Muppets again, but mainly because, <laughs> mainly because I don't. I, I liked it. I so did I, but I don't believe that anybody that's had their tits out on screen should be in The Muppets. <laughs> it's just... I perhaps <laughs> had the conversation on the way like out of the cinema both my wife and I saw it we saw this together it was actually one of the rare occasions where she was really keen to see the film and I was like oh good I'll wait until we've got time together to go and watch it and we both had the same you know we both really liked and both walked out and I was like tentatively trying to probe what she thought about the performances of Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams um, and she was like um, they were okay and I was like oh, it wasn't just me then really? because apparently I'm being very contrarian again by accident and uh, I didn't think either of them were amazing and it seems to be the popular opinion that they were amazing and I I didn't didn't get that is it because they're supposed to be just you know they're, normal they're, people they're supposed yeah, to be normal probably. people they're supposed to just be mm. Okay, as regular as someone that speaks a million different languages can be, but you know mm. they're just they're regular folks. So C three PO. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, it could be. It could be. I do want to see it again because there were things about it, like what I thought at first was the agonisingly tedious daughter flashback scenes, which are then explained away, and then I was like, oh, so maybe I shouldn't have been rolling my eyes at it, so many of these. Explained the away the- seems a bit mean. <laughs> oh, no, no, no! I'm being, I'm, I'm being deliberately um, nondescript. Glib. Yeah. It. No, no, not glib. But <laughs> trying not to specify. See, I, 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 I think they. I thought they were done quite well, actually. I, mm. I, yeah. I really, you know, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed. No, I did not enjoy in the slightest mm. because it was horrible. But I, you know, I, I thought they were a good setup for the rest of the film. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, but, I mean, they, they, in but what hindsight, I mean, what I mean they is, were fabulous. It, but no, not even in hindsight. What I mean is when I when when that bit ended and the rest of the film started, it put me in a certain mood and it put me in the right mood to enjoy the rest of this film, which is just kind of... Almost, not quite... It's not melancholy, but it has that kind of feeling to it, I thought. But... I mean, and obviously you can't explain too much about what happens with no me, I know it's, it's awkward isn't and it because it? <laughs> I said this I, I think I might have said this to when me and Steve were talking about it I don't know how you talk about this film without spoiling it because almost everything is a spoiler Will Smith punches Manning in the face 
<laughs> Welcome to Earth. <laughs> with yeah. Windows 95. Yeah. To be fair, Windows 95 killed a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, we've yet to hear what you thought about Arrival. I think it's a surprisingly timely film, actually. In that it's all about... <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's all about the man from the Vicar Dibley. Um, no, it's all about... Um, the lack of communication in the world and it's all about lack of understanding and it's all about how the only way we're, we're going to basically progress as a species is by talking to each other. And given what's been going on in the world this year, we feel, I don't know about anybody else, but I feel further away from that than ever I ever have been. So this film kind of has turned up at the point to make us try and make us actually stop and go, well, hang on a minute. This is important, you know, and it's all done. It like great sci-fi. It's all done through the prism of, of an alien encounter, you know, and a very defiantly alien encounter. You know, these aliens are that, you know, the whole idea is that Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner have to communicate with these, this species who are completely unable to communicate as we do through speech and a a big part of the film is them trying to figure out how to even engage them and to figure out what they want to be, what they want to do, um, why they've come here. But it's, it's tied up with this, all this really sort of fascinating story. Like it's like we said, without giving too much away about what, yeah, like you said, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. It, but it's it's very fast. It's tied up, obviously, with Amy Adams and her journey, I think, is the is the best way to put it, really. And it, it, But it's saying a lot more through her and through the communication with these aliens. And I just think it, it cuts a cord as to where we are right now as a species. And I think that's what... That's why somebody's... Funnily enough, my boss, I was talking to this about today, and she described it as old-fashioned. And she meant it as a compliment, and I kind of agree in that it, you know it's got shades of two thousand one, it's got shades of Close Encounters, but it's done through Dennis Villeneuve's very sort of distancing prism. And it was funny because my girlfriend really loved it, as did I, but she was quite like you know by the ending, which again we won't spoil. She was quite sad and quite devastated by it. I didn't feel that because I felt a certain you know Stanley Kubrick esque distance, and that's kind of what Villeneuve does in his films and he's brilliant for it um and this is this is probably he does have a gift of making you leave the cinema feeling very somber he, oh he does yeah and he leaves you thinking about it afterwards but it's that whole you know he, he keeps you almost with a certain dispassion about it all but that's kind of all tied up with the point of this really um and that it's just it's it's just got a lot going on and it, it's one of those films that's going to take a few watches not to love, because I think it's tremendous, but it's going to take a few watches to really soak it all in, really. Especially the last act, which you... I think there's more in there than people would have picked out on a first watch. It, it, it was just fantastic. Uh, it's, and it's... I haven't seen all the all the best films this year, if I'm honest, because it's been a bad year for film anyway. But Arrival rises high to the top, I think, this year. And if it's not in the Oscar race, for, on several levels, I'll be very surprised. Mm, yeah, I mean, it'll probably get nominated. It's got that feel to it. And Vilna's picking up a bit of um, 
Uh, not momentum. I don't mean mon- momentum, but it's picking up some a traction. Lot of, uh, credit, isn't it? Yeah, lots of people seem to be coming around to him. And I don't know if it's um, his best film either. I mean, I, I agree with Brooker. I, I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know. I, part of me thinks it might be Enemy, actually, which was really bizarre but quite genius. But I don't know. I think I think, I think there's there's these last three films have all been fantastic. So it's hard more, to say. The more I watch all of his films, the more I love them. I, I, I've watched, I must have seen Sicario four or five times since it came out, and each time I love it more. And the same with Prisoners. Prisoners, maybe I've watched three times, because fuck me, is it long. But but it is really, really, yeah, it's really good. And like I say, leaves you really sombre at the end. I'm desperate to go see Arrival again, mainly because I want to take the missus. Because as always happens... I kind of snuck out to go see this in time, you know, so I could talk about it on the podcast. I left her at home with the kid. Uh, but I've already pre-ordered me Blu-ray for it, and I'll for sure be pre-ordering it on digital as well, so I can watch it early. But, yeah, I really want to go and watch it again. Uh, yeah. No, I, it was I, great. I adored it. Yeah. When Callum saw this, because well, I reviewed it on the podcast that we did a, a London Film Festival special, and the one question I had for him... Uh, which he couldn't answer because he hadn't seen uh, this film I'm comparing it to. I said, how much like Contact is it? It's much better and than he, Contact. It's, it is a better film than Contact. Contact is, is an okay idea. It's this whole concept again. Tony was talking about of communication, um, which is, you know, a theme of a lot of sci-fi first encounter sort of movies. Uh, Close Encounters of the for, uh, Third Kind is probably the best of those, I think. But, you know, even more um, sort of high art style sci-fi's like Solaris deal with it as well, right? It's, I mean, if you could speak to an alien, how would you build that communication? And is it even possible? And even if you could physically uh, communicate, could you understand each other still conceptually? And this kind of, it doesn't have quite that depth to it. And I, I think they do seem to skip forward through things quicker than is uh, apparent. Like, the, the, they seem to do a lot. They seem to move further forward through the time. If only in terms of, like, storytelling, because you don't really want to see fucking hours and hours of them holding up words. Banana. This is a banana. Do you have a word for banana or anything like that? Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, we Just all went constant. through years and years of primary school for that shit. We don't need to watch it in the cinema. Exactly. Well. So that's that's good in a lot of ways, but I do think it kind of skims through without really giving the audience a sense of time passing properly. Um, but also, I mean, the, the difference between it and Contact is the fucking aliens. You see the aliens. And I know that isn't a spoiler because I think it's it's what people will be half expecting is if you have a film about aliens, you show the fucking aliens. And that's half the battle contact had was that it was so um, obtuse in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I think it was good in terms of it quite early on says, OK, we know what you want. We know it's going to win you on side quite early on. Here they are. Um what are they? I don't really know. Mm, but that, but I don't but know. that's the thing. It's not really. It's not even really about the aliens. That that's that's the no, whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a it's about it's about us as a species, and it's about our, you know, the the fact that we are so intent on not communicating with each other that we end up 
getting caught up in you know this mass hysteria and and lies and media and yeah. propaganda and and it's exactly what's happening in the world right now it, it, we could do with some aliens coming down and knocking on the white house quite frankly because it might help us um but well that's yeah, that's, that's what watchmen is <laughs> you know, that's the whole yeah. thing about watchmen yeah is that it's the cold war but you know there's there are bigger threats out there kind of thing this is um I mean, you don't really get a, a proper sense of the politics of the Earth, uh, except for Russia, China, and the US. No, and you know, you know that was that was my oh, that was my only one little thing about it that I thought was a little bit less below par, which was the whole presentation of 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 the other world powers. You know, the UK guy is a plum guy and he speaks a lot like this. You know, and then you've got the laid back Australian guy, I don't know, mate, well I don't know what's going on. And then you've got the hawkish Chinese general and the Russians who are killing their own people. It was a little bit cliche in that regard, I mm-hmm. think. And, and, Can we have a whole range of accents? Can we have them all? <laughs> Did, well what was the Jamaican correspondent like, Tony? <laughs> no, no man, I'm not doing that one. Um but <laughs> you yeah, cut that, please cut that. Um but <laughs> Yeah, the the Australian guy is probably quite accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. He, he was he was pretty much like that. He's going, we ain't got a clue, mate. Um, but it was it, that wrong place for them. <laughs> oh god, that was. Can you do South African. I mean, that's, that's yeah, quite difficult. Yeah, that's easy. It's easy. It's pretty pretty <laughs> easy to go from South African into Brummie, and then out into Australian again, and then back into South African. It's my it's my potty <laughs> trick. There you go. Shall I do the rest wow. of this as uh, as a fucking prawn, like significant? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think we can move on now. Yeah, yeah, we've, yeah. We've gushed over a rival. Now we've offended the entire enough. world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All three continents. You're welcome. Mm. If only you could um, call everyone a sp- spunk bubble. I'm telling you, H. You keep looking at me. I'm going to put you in the fucking ground. I promise you. In their own language. <laughs> Be, uh... I'm working on it. Uh, so yes, that's that's a rival. Go and see it. Um, but I have now got the tie break. Oh, oh God! You mean that. the tie break that you always had, Steve, yeah, so... and you just made us wait for? Obviously. Yeah, building suspense. Yeah. Um, so um, <clears throat> basically, I'm going to the wonderful science fiction film um, Battlefield Earth for this. Oh, God. <laughs> starring John Travolta. And this film is set somewhat in the future. Nearest to the pin, what year is it set in? Year 3000. 2047. 2021. 2047. Right, so what? what is Brooker and Tony Please Carter? don't make me say that I actually know this. <laughs> you know it. I do. You know it. Go on then. I'm pretty oh, sure it's it. the year 3000. Go on then. Yeah, point for Way. me. Thanks very much. No. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, I fucking hate that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> it that, doesn't look like it's set just, in uh, the world leave. three. Sorry, Steve. It doesn't. Set, it doesn't seem like it's set in the, the year three thousand. It doesn't look that futuristic. Nothing's underwater. It also doesn't look. It doesn't look like it ever had a budget either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, on to some recommendations, and then we can all go home. Um, as we were speaking about Scarlett Johansson earlier, Under the Skin is now on Netflix UK. Oh, love that. Good choice. It's a great film. Uh, Tony? Um, yeah, speaking of Netflix, uh, Gone Girl, Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Twisted Murder, Mystery, um, David Fincher. Oh, it's a cracking film. It's really, really good. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not one to miss. 
Uh, Broker? Uh, Thursday at 10 to 11 on the Horror Channel is the original Let the Right One In. And Owen? Uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's 1947 drama Black Narcissus is on Film 4 on Monday at 11am, which uh, stars Deborah Kerr as a nun in the Himalayas who has a sort of crisis of faith in a way and falls for David Farrar. And it's probably... And then the lightning strike, it's... body swaps her with a baby. <laughs> You've got it. You've seen it already. Okay, fair enough. Oh, well, it's one of those classics that I think people should give a chance to. It's not a dry, horrible, like over-melodramatic 40s romance. It's There's more to it than that. Really good film. Good. Um, so yes, that is all for this week's Failed Critics Podcast. We're now off to let Owen remove every use of the word spam. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Which word, Steve? Oh, spastic. <laughs> Mongoloid. Mongoloid. <laughs> oh. Window liquor. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.